We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Pearl. Pearl. Oh, shit. That was my bad. The fuck, Dave? Sorry, 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 How sorry. How long have you been doing this? I know, I know. Sorry. Nine months? Over 30 episodes? I think it's over 40. Is it? I mean, you're you're proving my point. Today's topic is... Pearl Curran. Who was Pearl Curran? Well, she was an author, wife, and mother. She was someone who helped bring about the novels Hope Trueblood, The Sorry Tale, and Light From Beyond. She also helped propel the Ouija board from being a children's plaything to becoming a globally recognized object. How did she do that? Well because she used it to channel the ghost of a long-dead woman named Patience Worth and literally ghost-wrote novels for her. Dude, I'm, uh, I'm really excited about this episode. This is going to be just such a weird one. Yeah, it really is. I kind of feel like maybe we should... God damn it, if Hillsborough Double Book the recording gear for that public access basket weaving show again, I'm going to be so pissed off. Uh, hello? Hello, my name is Tabitha Renoir. I'm an agent at WME. Is now a good time? Um, what? May I come in? Yeah, sure. I love what you have both been doing with this podcast. It's funny, engaging, and educational. Okay. I want to represent you. I want to make a movie out of the Deep Cuts podcast. I want to make this happen. I already have some very high-powered people who are interested. Like, um, like who? (laughs) I can't tell you. It's all hush-hush. Shh-shh-shh, you know? But basically, I just want you to know that I have some very interesting opportunities down the line if you're ever interested. Um, okay. Well, um, can we think about it? Yeah, of course. But I also brought this contract with me. Let's see if this piques your interest. That's the opposite of thinking about it. Wow, there's already a script for the Deep Cuts movie and a, and a cast is assembled and all we have to do is sign on the dotted line? Mm-hmm. That's right. Charlie Heaton is going to play Andrew. Elijah Wood, deep faked onto Deep Roy, is going to play Dave. And Shaquille O'Neal is in talks to play the voice of the CGI Hillsmer. Well, Charlie Heat Heats is a perfect choice, but uh, we're going to definitely need to think about this. Three seconds later. Wow, I think I have whiplash from signing those papers so fast. Yeah, I have like burns on my hand. Wait. Where did Tabitha go? Tabitha? Tabitha? Mellow Yellow? Yes, this is Tabitha Renoir. There's been a little hitch on the set of Deep Cuts the Motion Picture. It's already shooting? What could have possibly happened? Well, <laughs> you see, it's a really funny story. There's been 
what appears to be a series of murders, and the production wants you two to investigate. <gasps> Our, Our first, first ever canon investigation. investigation! More than three seconds later! Wow, this set is amazing! Can you believe they recreated the entire Mystery Treehouse completely? It's almost creepy. That's... That's my chewed gum under the table. How many people did they say were murdered on the set of Deep Cuts, the motion picture? Four? Five? I don't know, man. I don't listen to people when they talk. Yeah, me either. I was too busy looking at how cool all these animatronic suits are. I love that they're really committing to the practical effects of these weird slime mutant things. So cool. Well, uh, since we're going to be investigating this murder case, do you want to, I don't know, just record the rest of this Pearl Curran episode? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's do it in that box truck over there. That seems abandoned. Okay, I brought all of my gear, like I always do, so let's record. Act 1. Things that go bump in the night. Stuff from yesterday is creepy. It just is. Bag Halloween costumes, weird high-backed furniture. There's just no way around it. But also, the way people processed information was creepy. There was still a sense of mysticism due to the lack of scientific and educational progress. But also, there just seemed to be a general sense that anything was possible, both in a good and a bad way. Over the course of the 19th century, the phenomenon of talking boards grew in the popular consciousness. They came in a variety of methods and styles. You don't know what talking boards are? Yeah, you do. You do. They're flat and usually wooden. They have common attributes that comprise numbers and small words or letters arranged on said wood plank. These are then selected by the user who manipulates a planchette in order to form words and sentences. Talking boards, much like their later remade descendant, are powered by either spirits from the afterlife speaking through the holder of the planchette or just a form of automatic writing called the psychological idiomotor effect. Either way, the result is the same. Messages consisting of words that the user of the talking board generates. Some believe in the mystical or occult powers of the board. Others point out the fact that it's just a manipulation of our collective subconscious. The pastime of using talking boards has a lengthy history throughout the globe. In fact, the first automatic writing method was found in China in 1100 AD. A method known as Fuji, aka planchette writing, was popular at the time. This Chinese art was also used to contact the afterlife. However, the major difference being it was purportedly a bit more tangible, meaning that it was supposedly utilized to reanimate the dead through the art of necromancy. The first permutation in the long winding story of the talking board phenomenon in America started in the late 1800s when it enjoyed its first widespread boom in popularity. The main driving force behind its increased utilization was the fact that there was a rising tide of wealth in the US and Europe. This caused people to have free time and money to explore their curiosities about what lay beyond the valley of life and death. Another key contributing factor was the undeniable reality of the median life expectancy at the time, which was roughly 55 years of age. There's a little tippy, tippy top of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, above spiritual uh, exploration, and above even further the thing we talked about in, um, was it the Jared Leto episode or something? One of the episodes we talked about the above that was the uh, was the boredom when you just start when you just start becoming Jim Carrey, like painting and just being like, I just wanted to see color in the world or whatever bullshit above that it's i want to talk to ghosts 
Due to the movement that we now call the Spiritualists, these people gained some serious traction in the States and Europe. One of the main tools that was used in this was the Spirit Board or the Talking Board. Many mediums used it to purportedly connect to the recently deceased. Stories of fantastic true-life paranormal events have been reported from this time period. However, the reality is that many of these mediums were grifters attempting to take money from the recently bereft. A wide network of charlatans and tricksters sprung up over the next decade all throughout America. With the rise in production of talking boards in order to meet the spiritualist needs, a variety of patents were filed with numerous boards that were brought to market. The quintessential talking board, the one that would eclipse all the others, was created in 1891 by Charles Kinnard and businessman Elijah Bond. They brought a board into the world called a Ouija board, which quickly became the gold standard. So uh, the hilarious thing about, I don't know why the common pronunciation of this is now Ouija, because Ouija is a made up word. It literally isn't a real word. They just like came up with it and somehow over the next 50 years or 100 years, we've all just decided now that it's Ouija, even though it ends with an A. And I don't know why that is. Well, okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know why that is either. I've always wondered that because whenever I used to think it was Ouija when I was a kid, because that's what it was called. Um, And then, you know, you learn that it's actually Ouija and it's like, well, of course it is because that's how it's spelled. And you just kind of assume, you know, if something, if something is spelled in a different way than the way it's pronounced, you just, you know, you just kind of assume that it's like you know there's a lot of words in the english language that are like that where it's like some spelling and then it's pronounced completely differently but if it if it's not if it is pronounced phonetically and it was and it's never been pronounced that way officially and it's also a made-up word where did ouija come from because you can't even you can't get ouija from looking at this if this if this was if this word was pronounced Ouija, it would be one of those weird words that's pronounced in a way that is unrecognizable from its spelling. But if you but if if that's not the case and there's no origin of it being pronounced that way, you could never you could never look at this word and get Ouija from it in no stretch of the imagination. Why was it called the Ouija board? No one really knows. One possible explanation is that it could have been named after author Ouida, O-U-I-D-A. Another is that it doesn't mean anything, but they just liked that it sounded vaguely Egyptian sounding. Regardless of the true origin of the name, the Ouija board becomes wildly popular. Over the course of the next few years, it basically replaces every other existing option. It becomes so popular that the talking board is colloquially rebranded as the Ouija board. I have to just say that one of the biggest culture shocks or like cognitive dissonances I've experienced is learning how seriously a lot of people take Ouija boards or Ouija boards. Like I, I've always understood Ouija, Ouija boards as like they, they were made to be scary because of the exorcist. And that created this mysticism around them that they were these real things. And as a kid, you're like scared of them. And then as you as you get older, you're just like, oh, like it's just a dumb game. It's just like if fucking Milton Bradley puts it out or maybe it's Parker Brothers. I forget which one. And but to learn that a bunch of people like take these things deadly seriously was so bizarre to me. We we did a um, and once again, I just didn't think anything of this. I didn't think that this would even be I thought I, I thought this of this as a non-issue. But we did a um, we did a live stream at a at a company that I was working for where we we just we like did a, a Ouija board on a live stream. Um, I forget what it was. I forget the concept of it. It was like we were live streaming the Ouija board and there was somebody who had oh, we were having the audience ask it questions and then the person was doing it. 
And I just didn't think of anything for this because I just, in my mind, like Ouija boards are just this fucking kayfabe fake thing. But there was like, there was thousands of comments because I guess apparently with a Ouija board, you're supposed to, when you're done with it, you're supposed to put the planchette back to hello or something. And if you don't put it back to hello, you leave the gate open for the spirits. And so if you leave, if you leave a Ouija board without putting it back to hello and you walk away, you're like letting demons into the world or something. And there was like thousands. Well, there was first of all, there was thousands of comments of people being like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't even want to mess with stuff. Like, why are you even messing with forces like this or whatever? And then when we were done, there was literally like thousands of comments being like, put it back to hello or whatever it was. And then, and I was just thinking like, oh, just a bunch of crazy people on the internet. And then uh, somebody from the office who was watching the live stream, they slacked me and told me to make sure to put it back to hello. And I was just like, my God, like these people, these people take this seriously. Like, and she was, she was not joking. She was, she was serious. She like felt genuinely uncomfortable if we didn't do that. And then I've seen a bunch of posts on Facebook randomly throughout the years where people were talking about Ouija, like, like there was one where somebody made like a, a, a Luigi board, which was just like a Ouija board, but it's got like Luigi from Super Mario Brothers on it. Instead of hello, the bottom just says, it's a me. It's something like that. But there was somebody posted that and it's just like a thing that they made or somebody made and they were posting it. Um, and then there was like, there was thousands of comments about be- people being like, you, you know, get this off my f- timeline. Like, I don't want, I don't like messing with Ouija boards or whatever. Like people take these things super seriously. It's so fascinating to me. It's, it's weird too, because kind of like, kind of like McDonald's, they, the Ouija board has this history that then gets usurped by other people and is propelled into the stratosphere, right? Like, obviously, we're going to get to her in a minute, but Pearl Curran is a defining person in the history of Ouija board. But more importantly, and it's you can't make this shit up. The guy's name is Bill Fold, Bill Fold, and he's a fucking businessman. (laughs) I'm Arthur Business. Let me teach you about the art of business. So my name is Gree D. Businessman. (laughs) Uh, William Fold was a businessman who was kind of like, again, steeped in kayfabe, was an inventor in air quotes, but he really wasn't. He just like bought patents and shit from Baltimore, Maryland. And by the end of his life, he had 33 patents, trademarks, or copyrights in his name. However, the thing that would be most widely recognized that he would contribute to was, in fact, the Ouija board. How is this possible, since Bond and Kinnard created it? Well, because thanks to some backroom drama and a buyout, Bill Fold took over the company that they had started, forced them out, and changed the name to the Ouija Novelty Company. Bill Fold was the Stan Lee of demon-talking board games? Yes. From here until the late 1920s, Fold ran the company and branded himself as the creator and takes over the Ouija board from being a fad and propels it into being something that would last forever. At one point in 1920, Bill Fold claimed that the board game had made him over a million dollars in profit. Is that true? Well, it's not quite clear. He was a nefarious prankster, and his personality was closer to a carnival barker than a children's board game creator. But all of this helped solidify him as the board's, in air quotes, creator in the eyes of the public. But all of this was just the beginning for the children's plaything to be turned into an instrument of otherworldly summoning. It would become a tool forever associated with the dark arts after a woman named Pearl Curran got her hands on it.
Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Oh, uh, hey, can I jump in real quick and say something, guys? Uh, yeah, okay, Hillsmer. Uh, I just wanted to address all you nerds out there who uh, listen to the show for some reason. If you give a five-star review of Deep Cuts on Apple Podcasts, I will give you a thousand shares in my company, Hillsmer's Pirate Music Site, in the form of a real cryptocurrency that I made called Hillsmer's Cryptocurrency. If you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, just sign in anyway and use your Apple ID and give a review, even if you don't listen on the platform. And if you don't have an Apple ID, create one. It takes like two minutes. And you email me a screenshot of the review. Hillsmer at boygeniusmedia.com. B-O-Y-G-E-N-I-U-S-M-E-D-I-A.com. And uh, my my name is spelled H-I-L-L-S-M-E-R. Last episode, I extended the offer and uh, a lot of people are doing it. I've noticed some reviews that I haven't seen an email about so uh, any of any of you who have given a review and want to collect their Hilsmer's cryptocurrency, go ahead and email me. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to go uh, just be anywhere but around you guys. All right. Later. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Wait, Dave. What is that? What is that over there? It looked like someone in a really badass six-armed robot mutant Dracula-looking costume thing. The high collar on that cape looks like something you'd draw. Are you saying that I'm the murderer? I've been with you the whole fucking time! No, I'm not saying it's you, but like maybe some sort of copycat killer who's obsessed with your comics or something? I don't know, man. I'm just spitballing here. Trying to bring us to a solution on this situation. What are you doing? What are you, what are you, how are you trying to solve this? Enough talking! They're getting away! We have to book it! Let's go after him. Yeah, you're right. Let's go. It's running through the set. Oh my god, look at him go. Quick, jump on my back. I'll catch up with this lumbering techno-mutant Dracula-looking motherfucker faster than you can with your adorable but frustratingly small baby legs. Don't body shame me, goddammit. I'm just saying, if this was a contest for who could have the cutest baby fat riddled waist nubbins, you'd win. But it's not. We're living in the real world here, so I gotta carry you. Damn you, genetics. Oh god, the creature is going into that sewer grate. Should we stop? No, keep going. I'll pilot you like Master Blaster. My eyes might be infirm and basically just like that of a baby seal, but with these glasses that are basically a foot thick, I can see really well in low-light conditions. You're like a really shitty $6 million man. Oh, God, it stopped. It's looking back at us. What a horribly terrifying design. Oh, God, it's so vivid to look at. Seeing it is just... You you just have to see it to be able to understand what we're seeing right now. That looks like a dead end. Okay, we should wait it out here. And when the monster comes out again, we'll ambush it. Tie it down, and then one of us will go for help. It's a classic Andrew plan. Sounds good. I mean, fuck it. You want to continue recording? Eh, Sure, why not? 
Act 2. Two women, one of whom definitely doesn't exist. Pearl Curran was a solitary woman. She enjoyed writing. She was a housewife. She was an introvert. And believe it or not, she wrote a series of books that would propel the Ouija into the imagination of the American populace in a way that no one could have expected. Born in 1883, Pearl Curran was a housewife with an interest in the written word. She spent most of her life in St. Louis, Louisiana. While there, she married a man named John Howard Curran at the age of 24. In approximately July of 1912, Pearl encountered a Ouija board that a friend of her husband owned. After an initial benign exposure to the board, Pearl became more and more interested in it. She slowly became obsessed with it, using it to attempt to contact the spirit world. By July of 1913, Pearl would claim that she had an encounter with the afterlife that was unlike anything she had ever experienced. To put it simply, a message came through the board, one of stern intensity. Many moons ago I lived. Again I come, patience worth my name. Wait, I would speak with thee. If thou shalt live, then so shall I. I make my bread at thy hearth. Good friends, let us be merry. The time for work is past. Let the tabby drowse and blink her wisdom to the fire log. What transpired next was something no one could have seen coming. This interaction with the spirit world would spawn something unlike anything else that's happened in American letters before or since. Pearl Curran began near daily correspondence with the afterlife. She began receiving tomes of messages from Patience Worth, and then she came to a realization. She was writing a book. She was being used as a court stenographer for the words of the deceased writer named Patience Worth. Pearl's story and the books she wrote with Patience took the country by storm. Together, they wrote the books Telka, The Sorry Story, Hope True Blood, The Plot Upon the Wheel, Samuel Wheaton, An Elizabethan Mask, and several collections of short stories and poems. And also their most well-known work, Even Ghosts Eat, which was a children's book that was published alongside Everybody Poops. But then there was a sequel to that called But We Don't Poop, Though. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. But We Don't Poop, Though. Yeah which they released as like a clarification because even Ghost Seat was put in the same section as Everybody Poops and they realized, oh, there's going to be confusion because this is going to be with that book. So it's going to create this false impression that it's like a companion to that, like even Ghost Seat and then they poop. So we're going to have to say part part of that's true. We do eat, but the, we don't do the, the poop thing. It just, it falls through us. Pearl and her connections to the afterlife became something of an instant celebrity and more importantly, propelled the myth of the Ouija into legendary status. We should just do this. That's easy. Like, like she just said that she was talking to a ghost and she became famous. I can do that. Yeah. Let's just go. Let's stop recording right now and just go just post on Facebook and say we we, we talk to a ghost. We we, we, uh, we we communicate with a ghost who tells us like that tells us like podcast topics to talk about. I mean, we could just fake my death. Yeah. And then I'll yeah. And then I'll just I'll just do the podcast solo and I'll just say that you're you're telling me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, except when you record it, we'll fake my death. But then when we record it, I'll still record it with you. But you'll just put like a filter on my voice that's like, I'm baby. Everyone will believe it. I'm sure they will. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird ghost. Apparently, you've never seen a ghost before. But the question remains, who was Patience Worth? And who was Pearl Curran? Born with the name Pearl Lenore Pollard in Mound City, Illinois, her family first moved to Texas when she was eight years old. She was an average student and dropped out of high school her freshman year because she had a nervous breakdown over the pressures associated with academics. She would later return to classes at St. Ignatius Catholic School. 
wait a minute. She had a nervous breakdown and then later on went on to claim that she was fucking co-writing books with ghosts. I, 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 I sense I sense a connection there. I think that's more not to give away the plot, but I think that's more like none of her personal biography is real. Like she didn't have a fucking I don't think she had a nervous breakdown. I think that's like part of the like kayfabe of like she was a really bad student like no this person probably is like a straight a student and then just realized that like in order to get around the entrenched misogyny or um to make a name for themselves they had to come up with an angle and that's when they came up with this you know ouija board thing and then all of their biography you know information that's available on the internet is just probably not true you know like she wasn't a very good writer and she didn't have a you know an interest in the written word well if you were trying to build up the myth that you were talking to a fucking ghost, wouldn't you say that like before meeting the ghost, you didn't really know how to write anything so that it made it more plausible that the ghost would be the one writing? Yeah, of course. She was someone with chronically low esteem. She considered herself ugly. According to the myths surrounding her, she wanted to be a singer when she was a child and purportedly didn't read much growing up. She worked at the McKinley Music Company, writing envelope addressing for $6 a week. From about 18 to 24, she bounced around, working odd jobs. During the winters, she would work in Chicago. During the summers, she would teach music at her home in Missouri. At age 24, she married John Howard Curran, who wasn't particularly wealthy, but compared to addressing envelopes for six bucks a week, was rolling in it. After being married for about seven years, that's when Pearl first discovered the Ouija. Andrew, what, what was that sound? Shh, it's the gigantic monster thing. It's coming this way. Get on the other side of the sewer when it comes this way. Use this rope I've fashioned from fecal matter, hair, and dead rats to trip it. I'll pin it down, and then you'll run and get help. Once again, just a textbook Andrew plan. You've been knitting a rope made from shit and hair and rats while we've been talking? I'm planning ahead, Dave. Shh, here it comes. Okay, okay, okay. Now! Ah, it worked! I've got it! Now go! Go get help, Davy boy! Uh, uh, I'm on it! I'm on it! Uh, uh, oh god, wait! Uh, it's got my leg! Oh my god, the creature's gonna eat me! You get off my Davy boy! Oh god, I, I think I broke a rib and a leg and whatever a coccyx is. I think that's that thing that Trump tweeted about that one time. We need to get you to a hospital, man. You're looking rough. Uh, but we need to save the movie production from this hideous monster. Dave, it doesn't matter what happens to the movie if you're dead. Wait a minute, actually, I might... Never mind. There would be no one to share it with. It's honestly the most romantic thing anyone's ever said to me. To the hospital, Andrew, my boy. One hospital trip later. Wow, the... American hospital system is fucked up. Why do I have a bill for $10,000? What are we going to do while we're just sitting here in the waiting room until they find space for me in one of these surgical bays? You want to finish this episode? I have my I brought the recording equipment. I figured I, I you were you were kind of on the brink of death, but I was like, I think I have like a spare like 30 seconds. I'll grab the gear. <sighs> Honestly, not really, but what else are we going to do? You're not getting the sound of me bleeding, are you? No, no, that's what, uh, that's what noise suppression's for. Act 3. A lie so big it consumes your life. 
Pearl Curran and her friend Emily Grand Hutchings were making a call on her friend in July of 1912 when they first discovered that this mutual friend had a Ouija board. They began playing with it only to discover that they were almost immediately receiving a message from one of Emily Hutchings' long dead relatives. They got a kick out of it and they couldn't stop talking about it. A few weeks later, Emily bought their own Ouija and took it to Pearl's house. They wanted to see if they could contact this relative again. Accounts vary, but some say that she was interested in the Ouija, and some say that she had to be coaxed into playing along with Emily. However, on June 22nd, 1913, that all changed because the board seemed to be possessed with the unusual strength of supposed communications from a woman named Patience Worth. The text came through was this. And so from here, like basically Pearl Curran, you know, she I think she has like a a recurring art article in some local newspapers that then gets picked up that then kind of like spirals up and she kind of gets more and more of this kind of like she becomes like the 19, you know, early 1900s version of a of a viral meme almost where like this story that she's been contacted by a ghost through a Ouija board really captures the cultural zeitgeist at the time. And she ends up being able to play those minor newspaper article whatevers into like an actual writing career. Um, I'm telling you, Dave, we just let's just start saying that a ghost edits the podcast. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's that fucking easy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you don't want to take credit for having edited the podcast and spent years of your life doing it. Yes, a ghost did it. Whatever gets me in the papers, baby. <laughs> yeah, and they and they write all these books together. They write um, The Sorry Tale, Hope True Blood, which is like a Victorian drama, kind of like Jane Eyre or something like that. Um, Light from Beyond, which is kind of about like the afterlife. And um, they also write the gospel of... Uh, the Gospel of Jesus According to Patience Worth, which I don't know what that is, but I want to read it because it's really weird that this person, because I, because like the kayfabe backstory is that like uh, Patience Worth was like a settler who came to America, I think. And like, I don't remember the specifics of if she was a pilgrim or somebody going out west or what, but she was some sort of person from another place who came to America and died a horrible death and her spirit lingers in America and that's the reason why uh, Pearl could contact her or whatever because she died close to the area that Pearl had the Ouija board and she was a frustrated writer who, you know, had this frontiers life and blah, 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 blah. She's that typical person, you know, like I like I told you before, we've talked about on the podcast before, my neighbor who's like a who's like a, a, a lawyer. And then, you know, 10 years into his career, he's like, oh, I want to I want to write screenplays. And then, you know, there was that guy that we saw where he was like a dentist or something like that. And then he was like pitching his screenplay idea on that website that I showed you. And there's like that, you know, that typical person who's just like, they've gotten 20 years into their career as a doctor or a lawyer or an orthodontist. And then they realize that they're bored and they realize that they just kind of didn't go in the direction they wanted to. And then they just try out screen. Like they have the disposable income. They have the comfort. And they're just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a year off and write a screenplay. You know, she's like, she's a settler. She's gone. She's traveled. She's become a ghost. And then, you know, f you know, 20 years into her ghost life, she's like, you know what? I'm bored. I realize like, I don't want to go off and become a ghost. I didn't want to die and become a ghost in the afterlife. I wanted to be, a, I wanted to write novels. It's, it's just, it's that, it's that age old story. And then she just meat puppeted a human around and wrote the novels. Yeah. 
which is like if this was true it's like the it's like almost like it's the weird christopher nolan like attempting to make this more realistic version of possession where it's like i'm not gonna possess you i'm not gonna enter your body i'm just gonna like ask you if you want to collab <laughs> dm for collabs yeah ghost dm for for collabs there's a hilarious like alternate reading of this where it's just like you're just imagining them as like writing partners who are just like who are just like zooming and just like bouncing ideas off of each other it's like oh i i looked i looked at your last pass i really liked what you did in that uh in on that on that uh chapter three section that i was really having trouble with i think you really made that sing Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was. I really liked that. I was really happy with that. Yeah, uh, I just feel like maybe we could just, you know, work together, you know, for some exposure for you. You know, I feel like we've got something going, you know, seeing as you don't need money and you're a ghost like, you know, you, you don't mind working for exposure, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually don't have a, a big budget for this project, but, you know, you're going to have you're going to have your name in the um in the in the credits of it and you know you can use that you can then take that and then you can parlay it into you know a bigger project where you can show people like oh i worked with this person and and you know and that's just that's the first stepping stone after the death of her husband john curran in 1922 who kept meticulous records of the patient's worth sessions the concrete history of just what exactly happened and when pearl was contacted got really spotty and inconsistent i also love how after after her husband died, there was never any like, oh, I communicated with my husband with this Ouija board. She was just like, nah, you can you can live in heaven or whatever the fuck. Like, I'm writing books. Pearl was now six months pregnant when John died. She now had a family of four to support. A family friend would eventually send her $400 a month to try and help get her by. She made a living doing lectures and public speaking about her experiences with patients. Her financial situation, though, continued to get worse and worse. She married two more times. Were these for money? Each one ended very quickly. Yeah, when they were like, oh, you're, you're, you, your thing is that you write books with ghosts? Oh, I, I wish you would. I wish that had been like in your bio on Tinder. I would not have swiped right if I knew that you were like a fucking ghost writer. <laughs> she eventually moved out to California. She continued to communicate with Pearl through 1937. She claimed to have seen her end coming, however. She passed away of pneumonia in November of 1937. Um, so now, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's pretty apparent that we don't think this is real. We think this person came up with a, a way to make money and, um, it's kind of hard to tell cause there's not a whole lot of other, you know, aside from reading all of these books, which I'm very interested to do, I, I kind of want to read them. Um, but to be perfectly transparent, I have not, um, because our podcast does not have an infinite number of uh, hours in the day or resources to attribute to it yet because it is not our primary source of income yet so um you know these episodes are researched as well as we can up and to a point um and i'm very fascinated with uh learning more about the kayfabe backstory of who patience worth supposedly was and the definitely kayfabed uh personal history of pearl curran especially just the the intricacies of like I would just love if every chapter of every book they wrote just starts with boo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's so interesting to me though that she kind of like was able to keep it up for so long. And like the story around her is not this woman pretended to be talking to a ghost for her entire life to make a re career writing. This lady had more dedication than Andrew WK. Yeah, for real. Let's get a ghost started. Let's get a ghost started. 
Just type it right now and write in. Just type, 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 type. Oh, why won't why won't you come on our fucking podcast, Andrew? God, sent you DMs, tweeted at you, talked to your fucking manager. Come on, bro, we would be friends. You like comics, I like comics. Let's hang out. Maybe it's me making fun of him and calling him Blastoise Randy Savage over and over again. Yeah, yeah, we're 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 uh we're never gonna get any of these guests to come on our show when you're like literal. F- first thing you say about Dan Blazarian is that he has a octagonal face. <laughs> not that we would want him on the show. Yeah, I'm not trying to fuck just, with Dan Blazarian. Just as an example. Yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to fuck with him. So, you know, we have some some skeptics uh, quotes here. Um, the psychologist Leonard Zuzna and Warren H. Jones in their book, Anomalistic Psychology, a Study of Magical Thinking from 1989, wrote, The various accounts of Mrs. Curran's background purporting to show that as Miss Curran, she could have produced the literary work of Patience Worth are inaccurate as a child. Mrs. Curran was a precocious learner. Her education was good enough to enable her to teach at various public and private schools. She had received extensive tutoring as well as expensive voice and piano training. She played the piano at a church, which happened to be a spiritual church headed by her uncle, a medium. As to the purported 17th century English that Mrs. Curran used as patient's worth, English excerpts testified that it did not belong to any particular historical period, but was a mixture of contemporary English poetic terms, some dialect expressions, including some misused and misunderstood would-be Scottish words, and even some of her own invention. The trigger for the appearance of Patience Worth could have been the death of Mrs. Curran's father just two months earlier. In 2011, psychologist Richard Wiseman wrote, Unfortunately for spiritualism, Curran's writing failed to provide convincing evidence of life after death. Try as they might, researchers were unable to find any evidence that Patience Worth actually existed, and linguistic analysis of the text revealed that the language was not consistent with other works from that period. The case for the authenticity was not helped by Patience writing a novel set in the Victorian times, some 200 years after her own death. Eventually, even the most ardent believer was forced to conclude that Pearl Curran's remarkable outpourings were more likely to have a natural, not supernatural explanation. In 2012, the researcher Joe Nickel, who published an article in the Skeptical Inquirer, said that he spent five hours studying Curran's writing at the Missouri Historical Society in St. Louis. Nickel concluded, The weight of the evidence, the lack of historical record for patient's worth, the fantasy proneness of Curran, consistent with producing an imaginary other self, the writing's questionable language, and the evidence of the editing and revision process indicate that Patience was merely a persona of Kearns. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's the these writings kind of hit, they put a fine point on what I was, what I thought immediately from reading that little like message that Patience Worth sent to her on, on the Ouija board, which is like only somebody who could be so gullible as to believe that somebody was communicating with a ghost to write their books would believe that this was authentic. Like I'm pretending to be a ghost from like the fucking 1700s or whatever. Like it just, it just reads like somebody's like fake attempt at writing old English style writing. Like it does not seem authentic at all. It just literally sounds like some random person. It sounds like one of us just writing like a fake thing of being like, thou halt knoweth of thine own treachery. Like it, it's just so transparently fake. Yeah, but I kind of love that though. <laughs> Like, like it definitely isn't real, but I kind of don't care. I'm so fascinated by the fact that it worked. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, that's that's why, you know, we've gotten people have gotten more skeptical. People have gotten smarter. Like, that's why when we do this, 
we have to be better at it. Like we have to we have to work harder to make the ghosts editing notes that get leaked um their emails like giving us notes on like scaling back our our asides and trying to stay on topic better um that are gonna be written in like an ancient like victorian era language because the ghost is from the victorian times we have to like meticulously study the dialects from the victorian times we have to read textbooks from the era and study the lives of the you know the victorian dignitaries and the robber barons and authentically recreate that so that nobody will, you know, find out that find out the truth. But also, it's kind of just awesome that there was a time in America when you could just be like, I wrote this ghost book. And most people were like, yeah, that sounds right. That time is now. Dave. Oh, Dave. Oh, thank God you're OK. I was so worried when I heard that you were injured in your boy detective. <laughs> Well, it was more like a multi-armed mutant slime Dracula thing with a cape almost crushed every bone in my body. But yeah, you know, you could say I was injured or something. I just wanted to check in and tell you that there's been no more murders since you've been hurt and that it seems like production is continuing without a hitch. Wow. Maybe we scared it off. Or we guilted it off. It could just feel badly about how, you know, awfully it hurt me. Dave, like, multiple people died. Yeah, but they didn't get hurt. Well, it's really nice for you to come down here. You really are the best agent ever. Oh, you're far too kind. Hey, what's that? Did you... Are you stepping in some kind of ooze or something? Dave, Tabitha Renoir is the creature that did this to you. Look at that slime. It's the same slime that the creature was secreting. Oh my god, get away from me. I can't handle my coccyx being broken again. Whatever a coccyx is. Get back, you evil agent. But also, show me your monster costume. I want that cool pulling off the mask like in Scooby-Doo moment. That could be really fun, and honestly, it's number one on my bucket list. Fine. It was me, but I wanted you two to become successful. I did all of this for you. I set up this movie deal and created a problem so you could save the day. Just like you have. Do you see? This was all for you, Davy boy. What about me? It was all for you too. But there's no costume. This is the costume. You know where I'm from? Mutant town. This is considered very beautiful. I was a model before I was an agent. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I've had a chip on my shoulder for a very long time. I wasn't taken seriously because of my beauty. And that's why I loved your guys' show so much. Because it was a podcast. There's no visuals. Beauty doesn't matter. It's just the ideas. And if your ideas are wonderful and weird and would be a perfect vehicle for Shaq. So I thought I'd take a few extra steps. I'd really make sure you two succeeded. And now know that was wrong. You should, like, maybe turn yourself into the authorities. You can't go around murdering people just to make a movie successful. Tell that to John Landis. You're right, boys. You're right. <laughs> I'll turn myself in. In one condition. When I get out of prison, I can still be your agent. I mean, 
I'm fine with that because I'm hopped up on all kinds of painkillers. So honestly, you could say anything right now, and I'd probably agree. I'm not really okay with it, but I also will literally do anything to make a social interaction stop. So sure. You're good people. Andrew, Dave, good people. I'm going to turn myself in right now. Oh, wait, uh, wait, uh, one more thing. When they handcuff you, do you think they're going to put the handcuffs, like, on your right and left hands? Or are they going to do, like, two on your right, you know, like, top right, middle right, middle right, bottom right, right, bottom, right, left? You know, I have the foggiest. (laughs) But I'll be sure to let you know. 25 to life. Hmm. Not sure if I'm offended or relieved that she obviously preferred you. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com, where you can find my books Fuck Off Squad, Action Hospital, Night Hunters, or Seven's Reckoning, Star Trek Voyager, Seven's Reckoning. Um, Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me ending my daily Ouija board session, walking away from it without returning the planchette to hello and uh, leaving a, a gate to the nether realm cracked open where the dark forces can slip through and inhabit our our earthly plane, infect with their evil. And uh, you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can get my book, Deadbolt, AI Private Eye, which was co-written with uh, uh, the ghost of fucking Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. That explains why all the robots in your book have giant stovepipe hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wore those for a reason. He was, he was, it was a big thing for him. Yeah. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com. And the Dead Boy Detectives.